I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. When you have that level of COO who you know you can count on, you know the core values are sacrosanct, you know that you've got a good trust relationship with them and they've got the skills, it gives you the breathing room to start being strategic. It gives you the breathing room to start thinking about the business in a different way, which gives you incremental leverage. One thing that happens when you're so busy running the business is the solution to every problem tends to be hire more people. Yeah. But when you can slow down and be strategic, all of a sudden you go, wait, we could actually say no to those four opportunities and have less people. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Are you an entrepreneur struggling to juggle all aspects of your business while also aiming for growth? Ever wondered when it's time to bring in a second in command to share the load? In this episode, I talked to Brian Beers about the crucial stages of an entrepreneurial journey. He mentioned that finding the right second-in-command is pivotal for achieving strategic thinking and sustainable expansion, and we highlight how the wrong hires at certain stages can lead to inefficiencies and stunted growth. The main takeaway is recognizing the inflection points in your business's growth and understanding when to hire a second-in-command. By delegating tasks, entrepreneurs can transition from operational firefighting to strategic planning. This allows for optimization, automation, and better leverage of resources ultimately paving the way for innovative growth strategies that go beyond simply hiring more people. If you're a business owner, navigating growth challenges, or looking to transform your business with the right strategic mindset, dive into the full episode now for actionable insights and strategies. Welcome to the show, Cameron. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, normally I ask for backstory, but I don't know. I don't think we have all day to, to go over everything you've done. So uh, let's focus in on the COO. So like, when should a CEO, so whether it's the business owner, in a lot of cases, small business owner in, in the, my kind of audience, when do they decide, hey, I need help. I need a right-hand man. Mm-hmm. At, at, how do you advise that? It's interesting. So I, I've been around working with entrepreneurs now for about 30 years. Um, I've played the second command role a number of times with companies. And then I, I run this organization called the COO Alliance, where we've got hundreds of COOs from all over the world. So I have a lot of purview into kind of seeing that mindset. The entrepreneurial journey goes from, I call it the ones and threes. So you have okay. just you, and then you have three employees, and then you have 10, and then you have 30, and then you have 100, and then you have 300, right? You kind of scale out. Yep. And at each of those transitions, there's a point that the company has to iterate or change. 
when you get to three employees, you've got a couple of people you can delegate to. Well, they're not really a COO. They're not a director yet. They're just a couple of key people that you can give some work to, right? Mm-hmm. You get to 10 employees, you probably have your first manager who's managing some people for you. And you need to get some results through people. Again, not a second in command, probably a good operations person, a good project manager, a good kind of jack of all trades, master of none, uh, someone you can count on. And you're trying to grow their skills and grow their capacity. When you get to 30 employees, you probably have your first management team. You've got four or five people that are managing everyone in the company for you. And you're really now largely managing most of those four or five people. At that point, you've probably got your first second in command. You know, it's the person that you would, if you were sick for six months, that they could probably run the company for you. They're probably not a COO yet. Maybe they're a director of operations or maybe at best a VP of operations. And they probably have, again, strong project management skills, strong leadership skills, stronger time management skills, but they're not a true leader yet. They're a good tactical manager. They probably don't have strategic um, Mm -hmm. capabilities yet. When you go from 30 employees to 100, then you've got your first leadership team, your your kind of VP level or C-level leaders that are running each of the functional areas. They probably have good leadership skills. They've been around strategy before. Um, They think at a different level. They're better at the interpersonal relationships and interpersonal skills. That's when you've got your first COO, right? So that's kind of the the core. And the the other thing that I always bump into is, you know, entrepreneurs, when you're in the 10 to 20, 10 to 30 employee range, oh, I need to hire a second in command. No, no. You need to hire an executive assistant first because hmm. most of them think they need a COO. They're trying to get a bunch of stuff off their plate, but they don't realize that a bunch of that stuff is the minimum wage jobs that they yep. can delegate to an EA or a fractional EA first, which will buy them a full year before they really need to hire their COO. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, that's, that's cool. We have one, three, 10, 30, 100, 300. I've always viewed it as similar kind of growing our business as like this stair step approach. Mm. And it's it's kind of it's kind of the same concept where it's like you can go up, you invest in the people, like then you can go vertically, like you can get all these sales, you reach a capacity level, then you kind of invest in more people, right? In our case, we can buy more stores if we have more district managers or whatever it is, and then we build out the office. Now we have a now we have this whole office staff that you know we can we can dilute their cost further by continuing to grow, right? And then you go up and um, even for yeah. us, yeah, we were probably at. Uh, it, right, right around a hundred. Well, we have two hundred employees today, and you know, we we brought our guy on and our COO on in August, so we stretched it a little bit, but but we probably felt that at a hundred, though. You know, yeah. it's like that's a good, that's a good. Um, well, and you know, what, one of the first stretches that you were feeling at a hundred is you were probably at the point where you're like, I have these strong people that report to me, but I don't have enough time to grow them. I don't have yeah. enough time to mentor them. I don't have enough time to remove obstacles for them. I don't have enough time to do any skip level meetings and deep dive into their functional areas, you're still so busy running the business that you don't have time to flip the org chart upside down to be there as a supportive leader, right? And and I think that's the point where you, now that you've brought on, you were telling me before we went live about your COO and he sounds incredible. um, When you have that level of COO who you know you can count on, you know the core values are sacrosanct, you know that you've got a good trust relationship with them and they've got the skills, it gives you the breathing room to start being strategic. It gives you the breathing room to start thinking about the business in a different way, which gives you incremental leverage. You know, one yep. one thing that happens when you're so busy running the business is the solution to every problem tends to be hire more people. Yeah. But when you can slow down and be strategic, all of a sudden you go, wait, 
we could actually say no to those four opportunities and have less people. We yep. could automate, we could optimize, we could leverage AI. Like, holy shit, we could grow in so many better ways because it gives you time to think. And and if you can get that right second in command in place, it gives your leadership team time to think as well. Yeah. And it's like balancing the growth. And for me, like when I was in that role, you know, I was focused on growth. Like, how do we, how do we get more stores? And a lot of that is relationship based with me and other, you know, other people in the market. But then it's, you know, how much time am I spending on trying to grow versus like, you know, working on the stores and what we got. And mm-hmm. I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's where you feel it. And I, in terms of your comedy, I've heard you on other podcasts talk about, you know, having less staff and then paying them more, right? You have yep. better quality people, like they're paying double, but you've got like four less amount of people. So they're making double and you have half as many heads to manage, but they're all like top notch in their class. And like, um, like it's a yeah. much easier organization to manage than a bunch of, you know, being cheap, but then you need like a ton of people, right? And then you have turnover and it's like all this bullshit stuff. So I, I call it talent stacking. That if yeah. you can stack the talent in your organization, you get those incremental results. And we've all heard that saying of that one A replaces three C's. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Canada and we we played a lot of hockey and we watched a lot of hockey. And when when a player on the hockey teams, so you got six players against six. And when one of them gets into a penalty, he goes into the penalty box. Yep. Your team is now playing shorthanded. You play defense. Yep. But these teams that are playing shorthanded often score goals because yeah. they have the the four best players and their goalie out there with nobody else interfering, getting in the way. And like, shit, you're getting more done with less people. Yep. They get the breakaways. They get all kinds of stuff because, yeah. right? Because the other teams maybe be too aggressive too. And so then they, they take that to advantage. So you really go by head head count, not necessarily kind of revenue count. I guess they're somewhat correlated. I mean, you, you should yeah, have there are correlated. You can almost do the hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, million, three million, ten million, thirty million. They almost definitely correlate there as well. You okay. can because when you get to ten million, you can start to afford to buy the talent. When you're at three million in revenue with your cost of goods sold and your overhead, there's not enough margin there to be able to buy people. So you're kind of getting away with what you can. At 10 million, you know, if you imply like a 40% cost of goods sold and some overhead, you might have some room to start buying people. When you get to 30 million, you can absolutely yep. talent stack. You can afford yeah, to go and buy good. That's where we're at now. So, and that's what's happening in the Bay Area. If you look at every single major VC funded or publicly traded technology company, they're taking their money and they're buying people. Mm. That's why all these engineering people cost so much is because the Facebooks and Ebays can afford to pay. Ah, give it another hundred grand. Yeah. I don't. They're they're basically predatory hiring. Yeah, and they get Twitter, and Elon Musk is like firing everybody and jokingly <laughs> running Twitter on like seventy five people now. Yeah. Um. But so, what what makes a great COO? Like in your definition, what is what should somebody the qualities that someone should look for when making this hire? It's almost like saying what makes a great wife or what makes a great husband. It's really what's the perfect balance or yin and yang to their mm-hmm. spouse. So if, if, if I'm a husband, what makes a great wife for me is somebody who gives me the balance in where I'm weak, who, who leverages my strengths, who can repeat my sentences for me, who I have absolute trust in, who, right? So it's the very same in the COO. You need every CEO needs a second in command to be great at the stuff that they're not. So in some cases, CEOs are very inward facing, very technology focused, very systems operations focused. They might have a second in command who's very outward facing, who mm-hmm. could be the face of the brand, who could be sales and marketing and biz dev, or it could be flipped. Yep. Uh, I was terrible at IT and I was terrible at finance. So I didn't run those two business areas. I've got 30% of my CEO Alliance members that finance and IT report to them. Mm. Right. So there's a, 
it's a yin and yang. And then it's also how can you really get the strong trust and communication between the two so that it is kind of like that marriage. But then lastly, it's also the timing because I was the right COO at 1-800-GOT-JUNK to go from 2 million to 106 million. I would have been a horrible COO to go from 100 million to a billion. Hmm. Their current COO, Eric Church, who he and I started a fraternity together 35 years ago in Ottawa. I was president the first year. He was president the second year. He's been an amazing COO from 100 million to 450 million. He would have been terrible as the COO in the first six years because he didn't have the skill set to start a franchise company and build it. Yeah. Okay. And what so and what makes you what would have made you terrible to go from 100 to 400? Like, I guess what changes in the business? Is it the yeah, when you, scrappy or like what what is it? Yeah, we had 3,000 employees system wide. We had yeah. 248 employees at the head office. 330 locations, four countries, 13 operational businesses. I'm a very entrepreneurial minded, quick start, you know, uh, yeah. execute now, plan later. Uh, w- the company just started to get too big and we couldn't grow at that kind of almost frenetic, energetic pace. Okay. Yeah. I also came in as a bit of a, uh, of a mentor because I had built franchise companies before I'd been a franchise before I could take a lot of what I knew how to do and just tell people how to do it, tell people what to do. When the company scales, you're no longer telling everybody what to do. You're, you're kind of more supporting and growing them. And that was where I was then out of my element. Yeah. And I feel like as our company's gotten bigger, it's kind of like becomes this giant elephant, right? And it's like, it becomes like a lot harder. To, you can't push it, right? It like kind of does its own thing. You have to mm-hmm. direct it, but like it's, you know, I don't know. There's that great book. I forget what it's called, but um, it's not changing. It's like the, the there's the rider and the elephant, right? And the, like the rider's got to really kind of direct where it's going. But the elephant, if the elephant wants to go right, it doesn't matter what the rider says, the elephant's going right, right? And, um, but I see, I feel there's frustration sometimes too. It's like, hey, you want to do all these things, you want to try these new ideas. And it's just like, it, it becomes, you know, it becomes harder. to, to Well, and, and here was a classic example of where I broke down as a COO. We were at about the 100 million mark. And we had these 13 operational businesses, we were starting to open some corporate locations, we just opened Australia, we just opened up in the UK, we were in Canada and the US. And I was making decisions based on my gut that have intuitively played out to be correct. They've all played out to be correct later. But we didn't have enough cash to be able to or cash flow or bank facilities to grow. So where I was making decisions based on what we had in the bank and and cash that I could see and how we could scale, we couldn't actually get to those numbers fast enough using the bank. And we didn't have any bank loans. We didn't have any credit Mm. facilities because I was like, fuck, we got five million in the bank. We'll just spend that. I didn't understand how to leverage a balance sheet. I didn't understand. I didn't understand how to grow a hundred million dollar company. And it's, it's, it's kind of like I understood how to be a teenager, but I didn't understand how to be a parent of teenagers, right? Yeah, it's very similar. Yep. Do you do, do you find yourself in that? Like, I guess there's two ways you go. One is you you try to figure out how to do that. The other was you just say, "Hey, I'm going to stay focused on where I already feel like I'm good at." Yeah. Well, and it's it's funny. Like now that I started this COO Alliance six years ago, I very quickly understood that my role was not to be there to teach COOs how to be COOs. My role was to bring together a group of amazing COOs and give them the space to be able to mentor and coach and facilitate and, and collaborate and and kind of build that community for them to do it. Because I've got I've got COOs who are members running 1.2 billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've got so 
I can't teach them. <laughs> like, who am I? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so I kind of have become a bit of the sage on 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 the side, right? Or the um, instead yeah. of their teaching. So I just. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a power. I mean, I'm in a mastermind group. That's the power of mastermind, right? It's not about one person and following like the, the Sherpa. It's about bringing all these minds together and like letting each other help each other, and then that's where the real value comes in. Yeah. So. I, I was approached to to coach a franchisor recently, and I was like, you know what? I'd be the wrong person to coach your franchise business because it's in the restaurant space. I don't have any restaurant IP. I don't have an, understand the restaurant industry. I think it's very different. But if it was anything in the home services space, I could probably coach almost any franchisor yep. in the home services arena. I could never coach anyone in the automotive space because there's too many technical aspects to what you do and how you do. Uh, and, and also the, the location based is yep. just different. So my skill set breaks down. Okay. Well, you can send the auto ones to me. I'll, I'll take them. There you go. Um, so how does, how does a CC, it's like the yin, the yang, how, do, how does one then do a self-assessment or what kind of advice do you have them? Or do just most people just kind of know, Hey, I'm, I'm like not really organized. I need somebody who's oh. kind of organized. Like how does someone do that assessment? Most people don't know. Most of the entrepreneurs yep. really fall in this area. And I've heard it so often like, Oh, well, here's an example. I get offered all the time to be someone's COO. I mean, first, they can't afford me. Secondly, they have no idea what my skills are and my weaknesses are. And, and they just think that because I was the CEO of one company, I could be the CEO yep. of theirs. That's kind of like saying if, if I was, was single, I'm like, oh, you've been, you've been a wife before? Be why, don't, <laughs> why don't you be my wife? Yeah. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah. So it starts with the entrepreneur saying, what am I good at? What am I really bad at? What fills me with energy? Yeah. What drains me of energy? What are the functional areas of the business that I have good expertise in that I love? And what are the ones that I could really get some domain expertise around? That's really the starting point. So it's kind of like an activity inventory. Um, and then it's also, if you could come up with two or three core areas that if you spent time on those, you'd really leverage your unique ability or really leverage your zone of genius. If you can delegate everything except genius, you'd supercharge the business. So it's kind of splitting those roles up. And okay. then it's finding a COO who doesn't want to work on the areas you're good at. Right? Yep. If you're Tobias Luque, who's the CEO of, of um, Shopify, has, has um, Harley Finkelstein as his COO. Harley's not great at the engineering. He's not great at IT. Harley is an outward-facing business development, sales, and marketing machine for Shopify. In another company, it might be exactly mixed. You might have a COO who runs all of the engineering and, and finance sides. Yep. So where can people look to to find one? I mean, is it is it Indeed? Is it referrals? Is it any other sources uh, that you've seen success, at least maybe for out of your alliance of where people kind of come from? Yeah, the first one is that great people are never actually out looking for a job, right? You've yep. got to got to know where those great people hang out and you've got to try to poach them. Or you've got to know where those people hang out and you've got to go and get them there. I mean, before we went live, you mentioned the Special Operators Transition Foundation, which is like a, sounds like it's a, a network of these former military special ops people that want to work in operations and companies. I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's like all the ducks are hanging out in the one yeah. pond. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're yeah. all waiting and going, shoot me, right? <laughs> okay. So I think a good executive search firms, knowing groups like that, where you can put your offer in front of them and, and see if they, you can attract them in definitely leveraging your network and your email list. But what I like doing is getting a very strong job description written and then getting a copywriter 
to polish that job description so that it's almost like a marketing letter or a sales letter. Like it really polarizes, it really pops and treating it like a marketing thing mm. and sharing that with the whole world. That's yeah. that's the core starting points for sure. Yeah, that's great. The copywriting, because a lot of times we go and just write a job ad and like I write or my brother writes it or whoever. And it's like, it sucks probably. And it probably looks like every other one out there versus I would bet like only 2% of like ads are professionally copyright written, right? That they look good and they're attractive and they, you know. um, I'll give you a great example of how a great copywriter can polish one. And it's also how truly understanding your company culture is core to recruiting a good person. So I was coaching a client based in Florida. They have the heart, uh, the cardiac heart monitoring system that's on the space station and at every space camp. So very advanced cardiac science business, right? They wanted a head of engineering. And they said, if you ever wear a pocket protector or a pair of dress pants to the office, we'll fire you. You must come to work wearing board shorts and flip-flops. Okay. Yeah. Now their team was like, whoa. And like, no, but that's us. Like, that's ex- that's who yeah. we are. So, so they put this out there. And all of a sudden, this engineer was like, oh, my God. Like, I surf every other day. And I, like, live four miles from your office. And like, are you yeah. kidding? Are you, yeah. Were you joking? And they're like, no, this is us. Match made because he had the technical skills. Yep. He culturally fit and he just attracted like a magnet. But they had other people that were very qualified. We're like, I can't believe you tell me that. I'm all professional. And they're like, yeah, well, you just wouldn't be a good fit for us yeah. anyway. Yeah, right? that's great. Yeah, I mean, I guess you go on like Upwork or some sort of outsourced website to find some like a copywriter like that. Yeah, and I, I love having one who's kind of sitting in the wings that you can turn to like every month to get like little, little projects. Freshen things up. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you mentioned it's SODIF. It's called Special Operation Transition Foundation. Uh, that's where we've hired, you know, our COO, and uh, I know three other people uh, who've s- similar to, to to mine who who've um, or, or just kicking ass. So that's cool. It's a nonprofit. Um, you know, obviously, you make a donation if uh, if they help you find somebody, and um, yeah, it's 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 awesome. So gold. I mean, it it goes back to the whole the A players hang out with A players, right? Yep. So so you bring on a new COO. What are some of the common mistakes you think these guys make or that a new COO should be like aware of? Yeah, so one is that, and there's two parts to this. The COO is kind of like dropping a big boulder into a pond, right? Yep. Their job is to get to the bottom. Well, they're going to just fine. But there's going to be a lot of ripple effects. Yeah, okay. The CEO's job is to watch for all the ripple effects, the good ripple effects and the bad ripple effects. More often than not, we're so worried about onboarding them and making sure they're up to speed and making sure they're doing well in their role and helping them. We forget all these other things that are happening, like the four other people in the company that are pissed off they didn't get the job or the two people that are now having to report to the COO, which is great, but they miss reporting to the owner or the two people that are reporting to the COO and their styles don't mix and they're worried. Or the person who reports to the COO and they're worried they're going to be out of a job because the COO has a friend who's also a VP of that area. Mm. Um, or, you know, the COO has all these great ideas, but they're putting them in place too soon before they really know the business. So you have to watch for all those ripple effects. That's one. The second thing that I like to do is say in the first 30 days, the COO's job is to sit and look and listen and watch and observe and have a notebook and write down as many things that they see and observe and notes in the notebook and do none of them. Literally just, I want to fire somebody, write it down, but don't you dare do it. I want to change this meeting. Cool. Write that down as an idea too, but don't do it. 30 days, sit in on every meeting, sit in on phone calls, ride shotgun, 
sit beside the mechanics, just watch and learn and listen and read and listen in on phone calls and read emails and and like observe yeah. every meeting you can, right? The next 30 days is to go back and stress test all your hypotheses. It's like, hey, I think I would want to fire this person. Go dig in around that. Go ask some more questions about Bob. Oh, wrong. Or yeah, probably do want to. So month two is kind of testing your hypotheses on each of your ideas. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of month two, it's stacking them up in the order of priority. Which one should I do first? And then month three, you start executing on all those ideas. So you're really giving yourself two full months to think and to watch and to observe and to get up to speed and to think about what you're going to do. And then it's making those decisions then. Because after two months, you've gained enough relationship kind of um, trust with the other people on the team. And you understand the business a little bit more to make those decisions. So it's slowing down before you go fast. Yeah, that makes sense. And then one on that month three, so you have this big list of things. What do you recommend? Is it the easy wins you go for for first that are just the quick ones? Or is it the ones that maybe will have the most impact? It's, like, yeah, intuitive question. It's the It's the easy wins first. It's the low-hanging fruit so that the people around you can see that an idea that was put yep. in place is paying results. And I like, I like it to like uh, launching a satellite. If I can quickly launch that satellite and then it's in orbit forever for free, that's a good easy win, right? What are some things that I can do quickly that'll pay dividends for a long period of time? So my team's like, huh, that was cool. That's easy. That was a good win. Get a couple of those under your belt yep. before you launch some big project on yep. like, you know, integrating a, a new ERP system that's going to drive everybody crazy for six months. Yep. Yeah, we have the same approach when we're acquiring, you know, we acquire a lot of existing franchises, right? And you have this whole new team and they're like scared on day one because it's new ownership and all this stuff. And like our goal is like day one or week one, like what are just these easy little wins? And a lot of times it's like deferred maintenance or like, you know, paint, like something needs to be painted or like the equipment's broken or like, I don't know. We upgrade the computers. I don't know. All these little things that they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And we come Huge. in and we're like Superman. And it like, um, they say, all right, these guys are serious. They don't just want to like cut and run or like, but or strip the company or people, you know, they have all these crazy theories. Yeah. Um, when, you go in, when you go in and just paint the location and give them new kind of cool computers and take them for lunches and tell them yeah. not to ever wear a tie anymore. They're like, wait, what? This yeah, is yeah. awesome. We, we, we had a store once we bought last year and it was so dark in the shop. The guys wore like lights on their heads because none of the lights in the shop work. So we like, you know, we get an electrician and we like yeah. replace the LED lights. And it's just like stupid things like that. that uh, um, I was I was in the auto body space for years. We built Gerber Auto yeah. Collision in the US and Boyd Auto Body in Canada. It's okay, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. $2 billion yeah. company. We would do the acquisitions. And when we bought the auto body shops, we'd go in and epoxy paint the floors in this oh, okay. light gray yeah. and paint all the walls white because we wanted it to be female friendly. Yeah. We wanted the woman to be able to walk through the shop and feel clean and not yeah. not clean enough that her kid would eat off the yeah, floor. Not dingy dungeon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not wearing headlamps. Yeah, yeah. So, amazing. Uh, anyway, and, and same for 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 my you know CEO. That's like, like he's been working some of those easy wins. And it's really so a lot of them are are like you said that they have to be pretty good at the interpersonal relationships, right? Getting yeah. some of the guys. Um, you know, what are their wives? How many kids do they have? Like he like he knows more about some like the mechanics and some of the store managers do because he like intentionally ask them the question and get to know he cares. Them. Yeah. And he cares. And, yeah. That's, um, that's you, you actually just touched on probably one of the core skills that a COO or second command needs to have is the interpersonal relationships, the ability to build connections with humans, because they're not there as the tiebreaker in making decisions. 
They're there to get people to work together and collaborate. They're there to draw out the conflict and help people get through it with each other. They're there to actually leverage people's personal goals and personal dreams and attach them to the company's core purpose and missions. Like they have to really understand and care about people. And if they're just in there sitting behind their computer and managing a spreadsheet and, you know, being the autocratic dictator, it's dead. It's dead in the water. How do they go about doing a better, not a better job, but like getting getting the people below them to do some of those things, right? Like for my CEO, it's it's like, how do we get the district managers to take a more personal interest in the employees? How do we get the store managers to kind of have those one-on-one conversations, right? It's kind of like that emotional intelligence, like bleeding its way down. Does that yeah, make sense? Well, so two parts. Let's flip the org chart upside down. Yep. So let's have the CEO at the bottom supporting the VPs who support the managers, who support the frontline staff, who support the customers. Yep. So when you build that kind of that that real supportive, caring, removing obstacles, coaching, cheering people on structure, everybody starts to feel it versus the holding them accountable, managing them. So that's mm-hmm. one. Definitely the the leading from example, right? So he's yep. he's doing it and showing it. And then making making sure that others see it. So it's kind of subtly showing that and calling that out so like it's in a meeting it's like hey bob how's your weekend with so-and-so and and how's your guitar lessons going other people like what how how do you remember that like how do you know that yeah Yeah, maybe oh maybe i should like know something about someone i work with yeah it starts to bleed into the so you start to infuse that the organization is another um and then the other is growing people right I, i believe that a leader's core job is to grow people to grow their skills and to grow their confidence those two things always so if you if if you observe that one of your direct reports isn't strong in some of the interpersonal or isn't strong in their coaching or isn't strong on their conflict management or isn't strong on spending time with people, coach them on that. Find that as, yep. and show them the stuff they're doing great, right? And and help them develop on the areas that they can get better at. Okay, great. So as as the CEO, so for for me, what are the things I can do to allow my guy to thrive? Um, stay out of his way. Cheer cheer him on. Shine the spotlight on him internally in the organization so people know that you're proud of him and see the good work he's doing. Um, have time behind the scenes where you can actually one-on-one talk to each other about what you're doing well and could do better. Ask ask him for advice on where you suck and where you can do better. And truly being vulnerable. Yep. Um, have time to disconnect and just go and work together and hang out together and be friends together so that you have that you know, Brian and I had a real unfair advantage at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I started with him in October of 2000, but three months before that, he was my best man at my wedding. Mm. So, you know, he we already knew everything about each other. We loved each other. Yeah. We'd been in a mastermind group together for four and a half years. For, for So he had like a four and a half year interview before I even started working with him. So it's working on those things, I think, can really help your COO succeed for sure. Yep. Yeah, and getting the feedback. I know a couple times he's been good giving me feedback. Feedback when I would like, I don't know, I, I got I got mad at somebody in a meeting, right? And like gave them a bunch of shit in front of other people, and he was like, "Man, you shouldn't you shouldn't really do that." Like, you know, don't don't you know? And then so I've been I've been conscious of that now of of just uh, holding my mouth when I felt that uh, I should say something and uh, and addressing it one on one offline, right? Like, it's so hard. I talked about that recently that I destroyed the culture in my company for about a month because I rightly so ripped everybody apart for something that wasn't going well but but 
the the net result of me showing them where they'd fucked up in the way that I did yeah. it was so bass backwards that it was yeah. like because then they don't want to take chances they don't want to speak up and they don't want to like they just want to be these like then like very narrow people versus like we want people to like yeah well and your role as the CEO is to be the chief energizing officer yeah so it's it's what energy are you bringing into the organization that you can infuse with them on that daily basis because that momentum creates momentum that energy transfers right yeah and po- whether it's positive or negative I'm bringing all this negative energy you're bringing it. I'm going to infect everybody versus staying positive, even if I don't always, you know, feel that way. So is that so? One of my questions, and maybe I already answered it, but what are the common things that CEOs do that then hold them back? I would imagine it's micromanaging. I would imagine it's like ping ponging direction and vision's terrible. Um, what else? Yeah, the seagull management is a good one, right? When you swoop in, you shit all over everybody, and you leave. Um, <laughs> okay, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that recently. I had a CEO that I was coaching and his COO was a CEO Alliance member. And the CEO said, you know, everything's going so well in the company, like all 120 employees are operating. I feel like I need to go break some stuff. I'm like, no, dude, fuck. just yeah. let it operate great. Like just yeah. chill, relax. So CEOs have to sometimes step back and just allow it to operate and, and look at it from a different lens. I think CEOs have to praise more. I think we're so good at showing areas for people to improve and what to fix, what's broken and all like, you know, this could be tweaked or this could be fixed or this could be broken. Or imagine if that could be better. Or Here's six new projects. We forget that all we're doing is loading people up with more instead of constantly, you know, praising and gratitude and praising and gratitude. Right. And if you can find those areas, I think that's that's really where you're going to improve for sure. And for us, it's keeping it simple. Like I'm all over the place sometimes with reporting and numbers and data and all these KPIs and all this stuff. And I think we're trying to get down to like, what are just like the four things that we could do and just like really focus in on that. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's been big well, for us. You know, one of the, one of the core, core things or one of the core metrics that I think every CEO should focus on is the employee net promoter score. Yep. It's how happy are my employees? Because if your employees are really happy, chances are they're going to do everything to take care of the customers. The employees are going to go through brick walls for you. The employees are going to work harder and longer. So then all of a sudden, your customers are really happy. Well, if you've got really happy employees and really happy customers, your turnover is low, your retention is high, your training costs are low, your customers are really happy, you can probably charge more. Yep. 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 That's that's cool. I never. I mean, I'm familiar with Net Promoter from a customer standpoint, but I've never thought about it from an employee standpoint. So that's... It's that's the number one, the number one metric for me in every company that I've ever worked with is how happy can I make my employees? Okay. And how do you survey them? Just like a Google form or something? I Google, Google form. If it's a, if it's a small company, I walk around and hand everybody a post-it note with the same color pen. And I'm like, just write a number of one to 10 on the post-it note of how you'd rate us, you know, as the best company to work for. If it's a Google form, you can do it out or a survey monkey and just say, what's also one thing we can do to make this a great place to work. Yep. yep. What I do is I do that survey twice a year. Okay. I do it once, once in January, once in July. And in July, I just say, what's one thing we can do that wouldn't cost money that would make this the best company to work for? Just keep taking those ideas. Yep. That's awesome. So you mentioned COO Alliance a couple of times. Can you just talk to me a little bit like, what is it? Um, what does it cost? Yeah. Who should join? What do they get? That kind of thing. Give me the picture. Sure. So I, I was I was a member of, of a lot of different mastermind communities for entrepreneurs. I was a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization. I did Strategic Coach for seven years. I was in Genius Network for seven years. Baby Bathwater multiple times. Mastermind Talks five times. I've gone to a bunch. And, uh, and then I've worked with YPO in 10 countries. And so yep. lots and lots. There's all these groups for entrepreneurs. But the problem is the entrepreneur is not really the one who's growing the company. It's their second in command or it's their leaders. 
And there were groups for, for marketers and engineers and lawyers and accountants or all these groups, but there's no community for the second command. So I started it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, membership is 8,900 a year. They have a three hour event every month for 12 months. They have a closed private Slack group where they all share messages and ideas and questions with each other and they all answer and help each other throughout the year. Uh, we also have accountability groups. So we put them in groups of six and they meet for one hour every month in small groups of six to share their problems and support each other. And then we have two optional in-person events a year. One is held in Scottsdale. One's held at MIT in Boston. And we have them come to those and that's about five grand per event. That's like a t- two or three day event, bringing in speakers or talking. Yeah, about the one, the one we have coming up in April, we have Chip Connolly, who is the founder of the Joy de Vivre hotel chain. We've got Don DePani, who is a monk, and then a guy named Warren Rustand, who is a spectacular um, speaker on leadership. You know, he was he's worked inside of the White House, sold $2 billion companies. Every time I see Warren speak, I feel like a complete loser in life. So, there you go. Uh, what's, what is, what's some of the content? Like, what are some of the discussions these guys are talking about in the three hour a month or, you know, at these conferences? Yeah. How to build a better relationship with my CEO, how to be more open and vulnerable with my team. Uh, we've got a speaker coming in to talk about AI and all the different, like eight or nine different AI tools to leverage inside of our business. Um, building a better workplace culture, meeting rhythms, metrics, KPIs and dashboards. Um, you know, interviewing, recruiting, hiring. It's everything. It's, and it's the stuff that, as entrepreneurs, we're like, yeah, we need better people on the bus. And we think that's a discussion about recruiting. They want to talk about interviewing for six hours and probably chat about it in their accountability groups two more times. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to, they want to review all the interview questions that are being asked. They want to talk about the software that we're using to onboard people. They want like, they get into that. They get into the real nuts and bolts of the business. And you have a wide range of industries. I mean, you mentioned people in oh, yeah. and stuff, but it's a huge range. We've got pure play offline businesses. Uh, we've got, you know, pure, pure, pure online businesses. We've got members from 17 countries. Uh, our youngest COO is 22 years old and he's a CEO of four different companies, all doing more than 5 million in revenue. He blows my mind. Uh, our oldest member is 62. We've got about 40% of the members are women. Um, okay. uh, all, how, all of how, many, how many do you have? Uh, we're in around the 200 range right now. Okay. But we've got the largest Domino's pizza franchisee. franchisee. You know, they've got a couple hundred pizza Domino's. Yeah, it's yeah, like, awesome. What was one of the biggest mistakes you made as a COO? Not listening to my VP of finance when we had a very quiet, very humble, very amiable. Um, and he was very smart, but he would come to us and say, do you think that this is a good decision? And Brian and I were like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's great. Let's, let's roll. You know, I'm, I'm worried that this, no, no, we got this. And, and we just wouldn't listen to him with his concerns around cash flow and around how we were, we were using our cash to scale the business. And we, at one point had no money, we went to the bank to get a credit line and the bank said, well, you don't have any money. And we're like, yeah, we just spent our 5 million in cash. We paid 2 million for the office renovation and the moves, paid like paid 800,000 in, in for taxes, paid 800,000 in bonuses. And they're like, well, that was dumb. We're like, why? Like, because we can't loan to you with your position. So Brian had to go out and borrow 420 grand from his mom to meet payroll. Mm. So I I realized that if you're not willing to listen to the people that you have reporting to you, get people you're willing to listen to. But God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to use them in that ratio. And just to even listen to hear what they're saying to go, oh, that's interesting. 
that was a huge plus. Maybe we can consider that. Even if you don't do it, you're at least pausing for a second. Yeah, and and to truly understand it, like, what do you mean should we slow down? What do you mean are we sure? Can you show me what you're thinking? Like, let me understand that. Like, if I'd spent 15 minutes more just understanding it, right? If Brian had spent 15 minutes more understanding it, uh, we wouldn't have then had to fire 20 people and, you know, shut down the UK and, you know, call our vendors and tell them we weren't paying them for for one of them. We said, we're not paying you for 90 days. And she started yelling at me. I said, if you keep yelling at me, I'm not even putting you in the lottery to see if you get paid in 90 days. Like, like we don't yeah. have cash. Like, yell all yeah. you want. Is that, were you building out corporate too? I mean, because it's a franchise, right? And a lot of franchise, yeah, the franchisee we, takes on a lot of that. There's capital investments. No, we we had 13 corporate locations okay. that we told to open up uh, and because we were trying to prove to franchisees and we were doing it. We're like, we can run a location anywhere. Like, give us the worst market. We can open up there and kick ass. Okay. Like, yeah. well, then do Chicago in the winter. We're like, okay. So we, you know, we did it. And then do like an African-American market in South Philly. And we're like, fuck, we got that one too. And then we opened up Australia and then we opened up in the UK. So our corporate expansion. And then we had, you know, we had 60,000 square feet at our head office. We had, you know, 248 employees at our head office. So we had a big corporate, mm. you know, behemoth that we were starting to manage too. Yep. That's great. So so where can people find the book? When when is it released? Um, all that. Yeah, the book, the book comes out in two weeks. It comes out January 24th. So probably by the time we're live, yep. we'll be... Will be out. It's on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I actually read the audio version for this book of of all my six books. This is the only one I decided to read. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, and awesome. they can find uh, if they go to just Amazon, they'll find it. Or if they go check out the COO Alliance, they'll find that as well. And then check out investinyourleaders.com, which is all of the core leadership skills that managers need to excel in their jobs. And it's really how you're going to grow a small business into something large. Yep. It's a, it's a set of courses, correct? I've, I've looked through them. I thought they looked pretty good. So. Yeah, it's all it's what I consider are the core skills that managers need to be highly effective in their role. And, and if we grow their skill set, they can grow the company. You know, that you think about any manager out there, they all run meetings, but they've never been trained. Or they all do job interviews, but they've never been trained to have yeah. an interview. They all like coaching and delegation, time management. So I just created the, the modules around that. That's how I've grown all the companies over the years was teaching those skills. Yep. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. And, you know, I got a ton of good notes. Um, and I'm excited to uh, start, you know, putting some of the stuff into place with my guys. So thank you. I appreciate the time, Brian. And congrats on your hire, too. It sounds like you've got a fantastic CEO. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.